Welcome everybody to Australian Fund Monitors and this webinar about cryptocurrencies, probably one of the more talked about asset classes we've heard of in a long time. Uh, cryptocurrencies, depending who you talk to, are either the saviour and the future of the world or they're going to be the end of the world. Uh, if you speak to Berkshire Hathaway, then it's certainly the end of the world. But there are literally millions of people around the world trading cryptocurrencies uh, and trading many cryptocurrencies. What's generally not known is there are nearly 10,000 different currencies. Uh, there are two or 300 different exchanges you can trade them on. Uh, I think it wouldn't come as a surprise to anyone to hear that they are incredibly volatile when we first launched or started planning this, uh, this webinar uh, the um, price of Bitcoin was somewhere around $60,000. It subsequently went to $30,000 about two weeks ago. It's back up to $38,000. And where it'll be in the future uh, is anyone's guess. And that's really it. I think the risk of cryptocurrencies for most investors, even though they're intrigued about the opportunities in the cryptocurrency class, is that for many people, it's a bit like pinning a tail on a donkey. They just don't know where to start and they're taking, therefore, massive risks. So this afternoon, we're really pleased to welcome uh, Clint Maddock from Digital Asset uh, Funds Management. Welcome, Clint. Clint has a long history in financial markets, uh, trading a whole range of, uh, of uh, assets. So... Let's get on with it. Let's ask Clint a little bit about himself to start off with. How did you get into financial markets? Chris, thanks for having me. How did I get into financial markets? Uh, look, it's a long story now. I've been in the markets for 17 years, uh, giving me a few gray hairs. Uh, not, not as many as some. Um, look, I, I started out as a derivatives market maker back in the early 2000s trading stock options on Australian equities and moved from there pretty quickly into trading uh, pretty much any, any kind of derivative that exists in the markets on warrants, bonds, interest rates uh, in a high frequency fashion. And that's been my career, adapting to the changes in the markets, uh, any new products and then taking that you know, HFT style mindset approach to the market. So how do we identify opportunities in alpha? How do we take advantage of that without exposing ourselves to, to too much directional risk in the market? And when did you first become involved in cryptocurrencies? I've been interested in cryptocurrencies for quite some time. Uh, I think back in 2013 was probably when I first looked at crypto seriously. And when I say crypto, like pretty much everyone these days, they think of Bitcoin. And I looked at Bitcoin then and discussed with a few people and I really didn't see the utility of Bitcoin and that was that was more or less the end of my say investigation foray into the space I didn't I didn't see the utility there I, it's people talk about it as a, a currency a cryptocurrency it's like what, what's a cryptocurrency used for like for me that's that's paying for things you know that it has a value today that we believe it has the similar value tomorrow, that stability. And so it didn't have stability 
it was slow to pay. It was expensive to pay. You couldn't go to the shop and buy a coffee. You, know, you couldn't buy a house because, you know, by the time the house settles in three months, you know, Bitcoin is worth 30000 or 60000 or 10000 it's not it's not acting as a as a currency. So I gave up there and you know, so that was a bit of a mistake. As a, as we all know now, that was trading in the hundreds of dollars. And yeah, like you said, it, it went in well into the sixty thousand um, not so long ago. So it's gone from there, as I say, there there are now, I think last time we looked, it was nine thousand eight hundred different coins or mm. currencies out there, which is uh, which provides that sort of lottery situation where it probably also creates massive risk as well, not only in the currencies themselves, uh, which ones are going to survive, because I think it's unlikely they're all going to survive, but also how you trade them, you know, hundreds of exchanges, those sorts of things. Mm. Your background uh, at Tibra, where you're a co-founder, was in high-frequency trading and and trading a whole range of financial instruments. Was that a natural segue into this incredibly fast-moving asset class, if you can call it an asset class? It must be an asset class if you can trade it. Yeah, no, definitely an asset class. Look, that background was ideal, I would say ideal, for trading the, the current state of affairs in the cryptocurrency markets. Look, you hear the nail on the head, there's thousands, literally thousands of currencies I read the other day there are 40 exchanges in Australia and I'm, in, I'm interested in the space. I, I could probably name you three in Australia. Look, there, there's hundreds of exchanges, probably thousands of exchanges, thousands of coins. Um, and now the, the derivatives on the coins and the, the derivatives volumes now on the coins, it, it, it's a factor of one and a half to two times the turnover of the coins themselves in derivatives. Uh, it's, it's it's quite hard to explain and believe the sheer volume of interest in the space that, and that we've seen you know, in the last few years and especially the last six months and the latest run up in, in crypto in general. But you know our our algorithms in the regulated markets they seek out where is the opportunity out of thousands of instruments already. So we we can use the same kind of framework, the same approach to identifying which are the cryptocurrency coins, which are the products on those coins that offer the best value and do that with the computers. So you're using uh, algorithms, high-frequency trading, all the techniques you've used throughout your career to cryptocurrencies. And that, from what I can gather, and um, what it does is remove a lot of the directional risk because there's still massive directional risk, as I said earlier. You know, we've seen... Bitcoin and and every other coin along along the way in the last month become incredibly volatile mm. on the downside. It was volatile, it's been volatile mm. or it will be again. You're saying that using those high frequency trading techniques, you can reduce the directional risk and just take sm- lots of small profits as a better way of doing it. Mm. No, exactly. We we're equally comfortable going short as well as long. Um, but when I say short as well as long, I mean a particular instrument. We balance the short positions and the long positions in such a way that we're neutral to which way the market goes. You know, Bitcoin went from, like I said, 60-odd thousand down to 30-odd thousand. Ethereum 
at 4,700 down to, uh, I think one exchange had as low as 1,400. And all this happened within weeks. Yet while all this was happening, we were busy buying and selling in a Delta neutral, risk neutral way and managed to return after fees around 26% last month, just from the, the, the sheer volatility in the markets. I mean, it's, We've not seen anything like this. Well, I've not seen anything like this in my 17 years of trading. The volatility and the and the interest in the space um, and the, and the opportunity. So by by doing that, you're actually arbitraging, uh, in effect, as sort of the old arbitrage trade uh, of buying on one exchange and selling on another as a set price, possibly with a different instrument. So buying the physical and mm. selling the futures. Um, or buying the spot because I'm not sure there is a such thing as a physical when it comes to mm -hmm. crypto. Um, and that takes the directional risk out of what you're doing. And what sort of frequency of trading comes into this? Yeah, I looked at, I looked at some of the data recently uh, from last month and on one of the days alone that was uh, one of the busier days, the system did over 20,000 trades for a 24-hour period. Uh, it's... it's you know, something that, you know, th these are these are complicated markets. The, you know, we're trading on over a dozen exchanges and we're just trying to identify out of the thousands of potential opportunities, which ones are the ones we want to trade in real time. You know, we, we're collecting hundreds of gigabytes of data a day and analysing that real time. Every time a piece of data comes in, do we buy it or sell it? And, you know, we're talking tens of thousands of trades a day, billions of dollars of notional turned over. In a month, just one trading system. It's, it's phenomenal how much volume is going through there at the moment. And with all these coins and all these exchanges, how do you select the coins that you trade? I mean, is, is that also purely uh, automated or is there a lot of due diligence required on the individual coins and the individual exchanges? Mm. Look, the due diligence is, is done... Uh, I would say in part by the gravitation of other players into the into the space and into the exchanges. So you'll find that the most respected exchanges and the safest exchanges will be the ones that attract the volume and the customs. And given that our strategy requires liquidity to trade, we need the turnover. We need the turnover at the exchange. We need it in the instruments. So the strategy itself gravitates to what we would deem the, the safer exchanges. Based on liquidity. Based on liquidity and sure. other players in the market. Okay. And this is trading 24 hours a day? Yeah, the system trades 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, what some people may not realise is these cryptocurrency markets, they never close. It's 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You know, it's, it's, it's another level for us as a company to get the resources to trade over weekends, to resources, trading resources, to, to monitor the health of the, the system. And let's just go a bit into digital assets. Uh, the, the fund manager, how many staff do you have? We've got just on 20 staff, I believe now. Uh, split majority towards development side. Uh, you know, we've got guys who, well, one, one guy who worked on high-speed inkjet printing. Um, you know, it's a really diverse background, but, you know, they don't all necessarily have finance experience when they come to us, but... Now, obviously, they do. We've, we've got a core team that's been with us largely since 2012 when we started a proprietary trading company that's 
provides the brains behind the fund. And that core group has been with us for the best part of the last nine years. So we've been through a lot together. We've made mistakes together. We've learned from those mistakes. We've made money. We've lost money. Um, but, you know, we're, we're aware of what to look out for with an automated system and the pitfalls of trading and algorithm in an HFT fashion, high frequency fashion. Because when you're trading so high frequency, it's you can also lose money very quickly if you're not careful and don't know what to look out for. And you've you've been trading this with your own funds for well, principles funds for six or seven months, I gather. When you you mentioned the performance in May, mm. uh, which was obviously extraordinary and an extraordinary month. Mm. Um, it, do you feel that it's it's sufficiently proven now that you can um, sleep at night, you know, while these markets are trading 24-7, um, that you're comfortable about uh, the algorithms and how the systems work? I'm comfortable that we have a team that is sufficiently experienced to monitor the system 24 hours a day. Um, it's been through a real stress test in the last few months. Um, obviously, we've been trading the fund for around nine months uh, within the prop trading vehicle. And in April, we, we started the fund. And in May, we traded full size in the fund. We closed down the proprietary trading and traded fully, wholly within the fund vehicle. So there's no conflict of interest there. Um, I should say that any any information today is general advice only. And, and I say that just because to, to talk about the performance prior to May, which was the first full month for the fund, obviously a very strong performance. But you know, I'd like to think, well, I wouldn't like to think it's an outlier, but I know that it's an outlier to make that much. You know, there was, there was some real dislocation within the markets. We've seen extreme volatility. But having said that, you know, even in April, we returned at around 30% in the prop vehicle and the month before that when relatively not very much happened, we made 10% as well. Um, yeah. Look, that's that's definitely not what's going to happen in June, July, August. There's certainly a lot of leverage which, is, which has come out of the market over the last month. Um, so it's, it's definitely an exciting space and there's definitely a lot of opportunity to be had for the right strategies and the right people. Just talking a little bit about the fund, uh, you've set the fund up. It's an Aussie-based um, uh, fund, unit class, a mm -hmm. traditional class, um, administered uh, by Ascent in Singapore. Mm -hmm. So you're it's, it's designed for Australian investors. So yep. it's not an offshore Cayman Island BVI-type structure. No, it's a fairly standard Australian unit trust structure, three unit classes. Obviously, the one that's of uh, most interest to the people we've talked to is the Delta Neutral Digital Opportunities Unit Class. We do, we do offer two other unit classes. One's a, a Bitcoin index tracker, and you know, obviously Bitcoin goes up, then the index tracker goes up. <coughs> me. And similarly, we have a digital index unit class, which tracks the top 10. Oh, sorry. Keep going. Um, so, so those two tracker classes have all the volatility that the underlying market does. Yeah, precisely. So, which, which is probably what most people watching want to avoid. Yep, true. Uh, that's why 
the digital opportunities class is probably of most interest. But you know, however, so having said that, look, there are ETFs trading in other markets around the world that have <clears throat> a huge amount of interest for people just wanting that cryptocurrency exposure. So look, we we do offer those. Um, the the crypto index, which has the top ten cryptocurrencies by market cap in there, obviously that just tracks those. So obviously that would have a pretty poor performance for May, as did Bitcoin. But look, the digital opportunities class had a really strong month, given how uh, all it's doing is, is trading the relative value opportunities in the space. Okay. Um, Damon, who's uh, running our um, our panel, do we have any questions? Anyone got any questions they'd like to put to Clint? Someone's just posed the question, uh, Clint, what are the advantages of operating a fund um, versus a prop fund? Is it just based on sheer size? Yeah, trading in the cryptocurrency space with this sort of strategy is really capital inefficient. Each exchange, it's like a broker and an exchanging one. <coughs> it's like a broker and exchanging one. So to trade on an exchange, we need to fund their account with the equity in order to put on the positions in the futures in order to trade the coins. And look, they offer a lot of leverage, but you know, we, we're not really able to take advantage of that leverage because we need to monitor our when, when we're, we need to manage the equity of those exchanges. So if we're long on one exchange and short on another exchange, we obviously, we need to be aware of the profit and loss between the exchanges. So we can't take on too much leverage because of the sheer volatility of the cryptos you know, moving 10, 20% in minutes. So in order to put on the positions in, in the size that's available in the markets, we don't we, we just don't have the equity within the prop trading vehicle in order to take full advantage of, of that opportunity. And there's a really great opportunity for us now to raise money while the opportunity is there uh, in order to realise as much, as much profit as, as presents itself. So, yeah, look, we wouldn't, if we were able to take advantage of it, the last thing we want to do is start a fund and advertise to the world the sort of opportunities that, that do exist because uh, I'm sure there are people listening that are probably trying to work out what we're doing and, and how we do it. And, uh, you know, we don't really want to accelerate that process, but, you know, if we're able to raise money now and, and take advantage of it now, then, then we'll do so. But getting into this, that barrier to entry uh, of other people who want to do the same as you would seem to be incredibly difficult. Look, it's a complex system. We've been looking really closely at the space for a couple of years and, and it took a long time just to get the strategy built and trading to a level where we're happy to run it in an automated fashion and, and you know, a good nine months before we're able to have the confidence in it to run other uh, external money in it uh, in a safe and efficient manner. You you mentioned earlier, obviously, that there's a compliance issue. I know something thirty percent a month and twenty percent a month is not normal, and uh, we we would add that, that that's not necessarily uh, any guarantee. I mean, uh, as they always say in in the um, in the offer documents, past performance is no guarantee. But can you see that there is a an opportunity, even if volatility settled down within cryptos, mm. that that ability to make really good returns mm. um, 
non-correlated to the direction of the underlying asset is still there? Hmm. Yeah, it definitely is. Look, the, the sheer number of instruments that are there and the ability of the system to identify in real time what's uh, what's a good, cheap instrument to buy, what's an equally expensive instrument to sell against and, and make that hedge trade. But those opportunities still exist. But you can imagine volatility akin to being a, a speeding up of time. Uh, so you get you get the same movement over a much shorter time period. It's the definition of volatility, how much is something moving in a given amount of time. So look, there's still the profit to be had. There's still interesting trades to be done. But you know, if the volatility is lower, then we're just going to realise less opportunities per unit of time. So yeah, look, it's, it's still a sound strategy, even in quiet markets, but look, there's not nearly the returns that, to be had that we've had in the last couple of months, but it's still really good. I mean, we, we'd expect that if we weren't returning two, three percent a month as a baseline, then then we weren't really doing our job properly. Okay. Uh, uh, one of the questions come, has come through and how the, the coins secured um, and really looking at the financial integrity of the various exchanges that you use, Clint. Mm. I think that speaks to what, what risks are we taking with running the strategy and, and the biggest risk, in my opinion, is the counterparty risk of the exchanges. We... We don't have any coins in the cold storage, you know, off, off exchange because we need the equity at the exchanges in order to be able to trade on the exchanges. So we're inhibited in that, in that manner uh, security-wise. Look, we take as many precautions as we can to secure our accounts against uh, hacking, so any, any cybersecurity risks we can think of. We've taken precautions against those. Damon, any other questions? The US Fed's indicated that uh, they're interested in establishing a US Fed crypto and trials trialing their own um, digital yuan with some success. Um, how do you think this will affect your opportunity set, Clint? Yeah, what, what's going on there? We find that really interesting. Like the, that, to us, We'd expect that provides us with opportunities. That's 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 a real acceptance of digital currencies and digital coins, and giving the masses the familiarity with with those. And we'd expect that generates you know, a lot more interest in in crypto in general. You know, and if and if there are governments ex accepting the fact that they're around to stay, then we think that's a really good thing. You know, one of the statistics being thrown around in recent days is how many wallets, how many digital asset wallets are in existence. And that's in the order of 90 to 100 million wallets globally. And when you consider how many people there are <clears throat> in the world that should and could access cryptocurrencies, we think we're just at the start of the adoption of cryptocurrencies. So we think there's a huge amount of growth to come, a lot more money to flow into the space. And the more we learn about it and the more we're involved in the space, we see the benefits of cryptocurrency and we're really confident that it, it is here to stay and that there's a lot of disruption going on and a lot of the, a lot of the problems that these coins are solving are making the banks in their current form somewhat obsolete. There's real disruption happening. You know, we've, we've seen that with some of the FX providers uh, cutting the bank's lunch on the, on the FX 
world, especially in Australia from what I've seen. Uh, and I think we're seeing a lot more disruption in that space from the, the cryptocurrency world as well. Now, how long before you can go to a coffee shop or a restaurant or wherever it may be and buy something mm. using a crypto wallet? I, mean, I know there was all sorts of talk about Tesla and you could that probably drove the price of Bitcoin up when mm. Elon Musk said you could buy a Tesla using Bitcoin. Of course, he then reversed that by, by, mm. uh, by changing his mind on it. But how far away is it? Uh, from someone being able to buy everyday products mm. using Bitcoin? Look, I haven't seen it firsthand, but I did read a story recently of, I believe, a guy in Sydney who went a week or a month using only cryptocurrency to live and he identified some places that did accept one form of crypto or another and was able to do it, but it involved going out of his way to make those purchases. So it doesn't sound like it's a, a convenient thing, but it does show that it's currently possible. And <clears throat> as it becomes more widely adopted and accepted, then yeah, it, it will be the future. Um, just when, uh, I, I don't know. It could be, it could be uh, you know, 12 months, more likely years. Uh, people tend to be a bit slow, but once it starts to become Knowing they can do it, maybe it'll be honest in no time. We, we already use our credit cards to, to pay for pretty much anything these days. There's very little cash since COVID struck us uh, last year. So I, I, don't, I don't really see any difference in the process of you know, swiping your phone against uh, some reader, uh, whether they debit your cryptocurrency wallet or, or your credit card. There's no real difference in the use case. Okay. Damon, any other questions? I can see some lining up there. Yeah, um, just a couple of questions regarding um, uh, the the fund in particular. Um, uh, how much money um, potentially could the fund run, Clint, um, given that there must be um, some decent problems in trying to get set in illiquid coins? Mm. Um, is that an issue? Getting set in illiquid coins yeah. is not an issue for us because we're trading, we're, we're focused on the products which are liquid, and they have have high turnover. That's that's where our bread and butter is. So look, we'll, we'll focus on the top 30, 50 coins that have liquid derivatives products on them. <clears throat> in the last in the last months, we've seen derivatives turnover in the order of four five hundred billion dollars a day. We, we we don't really consider ourselves anywhere near any kind of liquidity constraints for the fund. It'd be a nice problem to have, but. I don't think that's going to be an issue until our AUMs in, in the order of hundreds of millions of dollars. And um, Clint, the some of the key risks in in a delta neutral stat strategy. Uh, the key risks in the strategy would be monitoring our liquidation points between the exchanges. You obviously want to trade the opportunities as large as possible. Uh, however, in doing so your what they call liquidation points creep in and a liquidation point means, you know, are you 10% away from a move in the underlying to getting liquidated or 20% or 30%? And we have to make an estimation. What's a reasonable amount that a cryptocurrency can move and how fast are we able to transfer the equity between the exchanges? So while I say we are delta neutral, between the exchanges, we're not necessarily flat, but as a portfolio, we are flat. 
There's also a question regarding um, the Digital Opportunities Fund and is there a sort of preceding directional move in crypto that potentially creates an opportunity for the fund um, given its, its delta neutrality? Yeah, look, we found that in the, in the rallies in these coins, in the run-up, there's a lot more exuberance. There's a lot more money flowing in probably than uh, we'll have seen in the last week or two. And when that money flows in, there's a lot of leverage being taken. And uh, as a result, I would say more opportunities. And, you know, going forward in the next few months, there's probably a lot of people that have had their accounts blown up and might take some time for those opportunities to return. Like having said that, there's still plenty going on and plenty of instruments and plenty of exchanges that we're able to, to take advantage of. And with that, that in mind, what, what's the target uh, size um, of a fund like the, um, the Delta Neutral Fund? The Delta Neutral Unit Class? Yeah. Look, it, it's, look it's hard to say before you, you get close and, and, and run into any problems, but by our estimations and the way that, that, that our strategies are developing, uh, it, it should be in the you know, one, 200 million plus mark. And... Uh, Probably one final question, um, just regarding, and it was we talked earlier about um, a couple of other exchanges. Do you see uh, a future where something like the ASX would launch um, crypto products um, and and other related sort of exchanges? And and you know how well regulated are some of these uh, exchanges? Well, I believe it's something that the ASX should definitely be looking at, but <clears throat> despite the fact that they're looking to have their clearing system replaced by some blockchain alternative, and they spent a lot of money doing that, I know of at least one company they suspended from the exchange for having too large a cryptocurrency exposure in their underlying business. So I don't know, will the ASX do it? Well, eventually they'll have to, uh, but will they in the short term? I'd say almost definitely not given their behavior so far. Uh, sorry, what was the other half of that question, Dan? Uh, just uh, the um, the regulation of some of the the exchanges and the and the market. Do you think they're as well regulated as equity markets? Okay, that's on a on an exchange by exchange level. Yeah, some are and some aren't. We've seen Coinbase list in the US just a few weeks ago at a market cap that peaked during the the first day of trading at 120 billion US dollars, which was a lot larger than the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. It's been around uh, for a lot, lot longer than that. I mean, obviously, we've seen that the value of Coinbase come off. Um, there are a number of other exchanges uh, looking to become banks and getting licensed. Uh, some of them, you know, I'm aware of one in Hong Kong that's regulated, another one in Singapore that's trying to get regulated. They're all trying to get regulated and, and gain legitimacy. Uh, there are other exchanges that I'm aware of that, all you need to sign up for an account is an email. They're at the other end of the, the spectrum. Um, but what we'll find is that the exchanges that are trying to be taken seriously and being regulated is where the volume will flow to. So look, the, the, the exchanges that we'll trade on are either being regulated or down the path of being regulated for the most part. Clint, if people want to know more about the fund, you better give the details of your website. Yeah, the best place to go to get in touch is dafm.io. It's digital asset funds management.io.
uh, or you can email me at clint at dafm.io. Uh, you'll also be able to find us very soon on Australian Fund Monitors, which Chris can give you there. So the, uh, most people on this call would know Australian Fund Monitors, but certainly as soon as we get the performance through from the fund in uh, May, then the fund will be live on uh, AFM. Uh, it is live on the Olivia dashboard for applications. So if you want to make an application, having done your due diligence, et cetera, et cetera, uh, online applications are available via Olivia123. Well, I'd just like to thank everyone for joining us today, particularly Clint. Thank you very much for Clint for giving his time and some of his uh, expertise. I have a feeling there's an awful lot more expertise uh, in Clint's not very grey head uh, that uh, that is bottled up there. Uh, the technology really fascinates me. It's extraordinary. It, it, um, uh, it's way beyond my understanding of the technology. But I think Clint's background at Tibra and others in high-speed trading uh, really makes this something that's very interesting indeed. Thank you, Clint. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Damon. Everyone. Thank you for looking after the panel.